Welcome you all to the library company this evening. Uh, I'm John Van Horn, the director, and we're really pleased to be co-sponsoring the program this evening with our friends at the University of Pennsylvania Press, uh, publishers of, of Maurice Jackson's book. Uh, and if you didn't notice, we have books for sale over here at the table to my right, uh, where you can acquire them at any time, and maybe after the program, ask, ask Maurice to uh, inscribe them for you. For those of you who are attending your first library company program, you should know that, that this is an independent research library specializing in American history. We have extraordinary collections of all kinds of things relating to American history through the end of the 19th century. Uh, in this building, uh, we have about half a million rare books, pamphlets, broadsides, manuscripts, graphic works, pieces of ephemera. And you're now sitting in what's the main reading room normally during a nine to five day. Uh, where people come to do their research and uh, use our non-circulating uh, closed stack collection. We cover American history through the end of the 19th century, but we have several uh, fields in which we're particularly strong, and one of those is African-American history. Uh, in fact, we're so strong in that field that uh, some time ago we published this massive catalog of our holdings, and just last year published uh, a new edition with an addendum with the uh, 2,500 items we've acquired since the first edition was published, and now uh, it numbers about 13,000 uh, items in our collection relating to African American history. And in 2007, we began uh, focusing on this uh, subject, and we received a grant from the uh, Albert M. Greenfield Foundation to create a program in African American history. And the program has funds for fellowships and acquisitions uh, and public programs and uh, exhibitions and, and that sort of thing. And this evening's program is one of those uh, public programs. Anthony Benazé, you've all heard of, I'm sure. Uh, he's a titanic figure in the story of anti-slavery activism in colonial America. And it probably wouldn't be too much of an exaggeration to say that through his voluminous writings and his nonstop agitating, he almost single-handedly uh, raised abolitionism in the consciences first of his fellow Quakers and then in the minds of Americans and people all across uh, the Atlantic world. I should note that Benazé was a shareholder of the library company and no doubt used a lot of the works that were in our collection at the time in compiling his own uh, many pamphlets uh, and polemical tracts that he wrote. He was also, but he was more than just a, an abolitionist and anti-slavery agitator. He was an educator as well and a reformer. Uh, and at the back of the room, under a, a plexiglass top, uh, we have a marvelous document from our own collection. And it is uh, Anthony Benazé's original will, uh, signed by him in the very month he died. Uh, and it's really quite a remarkable document. Uh, after making provision for his wife, uh, he writes that all of his real property, his estates and, and, uh, and property was to be sold, and the proceeds were to be used uh, to employ a religious-minded person or persons to teach a number of Negro, mulatto, or Indian children to read and write, arithmetic, plain accounts, needlework, etc. And it is my particular des desire, founded on the experience I have had in that service, because Benazé himself founded that, that school, that in the choice of a tutor, special care may be had to prefer an industrious, careful person of true piety who may be or become suitably qualified, who would undertake the service from a principle of charity to one more highly learned, not equally so disposed. So he preferred the piety to the, to the learning in, in the choice of the schoolmaster or mistress. 
it's, it's really a remarkable document, and you should all take a look at it uh, before you leave this evening. Benazet has long needed a modern biographer. There really hasn't been much written about him in, in recent decades. And I believe he's found that biographer in our speaker this evening, Maurice Jackson. Professor Jackson is a former library company and historical society research fellow who was here in the 1990s working on the earlier stages of, of his uh, research on uh, Benazet. And I'm delighted to see that his work has now come to fruition. He's a graduate of Antioch College and received his PhD from Georgetown University where he's now teaching Atlantic and African American history. He's lived his entire adult life in the District of Columbia. Uh, and he's soon, in a month or two, going to be inducted into the Washington, D.C. Hall of Fame in recognition of his years of service to the people of the nation's capital. Currently, he's writing a social, political, and cultural history of African Americans in Washington, D.C. from 1791 to the present. And he's co-editing a work uh, on African Americans and the Haitian Revolution, which will be published a year from now by Rutledge. And on another note altogether, he's uh, an aficionado of jazz, and he wrote the liner notes to the Grammy-nominated jazz CD by Charlie Hayden and Hank Jones called Steal Away, Spirituals, Folk Songs, and Hymns, uh, which came out from Verve Records in 1995. So I take great pleasure in introducing you to Maurice Jackson. Thank you, John, for that uh, very kind uh, introduction. Uh, speaking of jazz, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm back in Philadelphia, and uh, it started here, so it's of, of great importance. In the African tradition, there's this notion of, uh, of polyrhythms, of the transmigration of the soul. One never dies. It goes in circles. Uh, in Western time, there's the concept of linear time, beginning or an end. And so it's fitting that I come back uh, full circle. Of course, uh, Philadelphia is the home of uh, Tootie Heath, those of uh, you jazz lovers, the great jazz drummer who played with uh, John Coltrane, Evan Jones, and, and, and many others. And I'm just grateful to be here. Uh, thank very much uh, John, and, and especially Phil Lamzanski, uh, uh, who was just so helpful to me when I first uh, started this project. Uh, I, I, I had, uh, had taken a, 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 an outward way to, to history. I'd been an activist most of my life, and uh, the world didn't change. I tried, but it wouldn't. So I had to try to find another profession, so I, I started reading and, uh, and writing. And, uh, and so many in this uh, uh, area helped me. Uh, at Haverford uh, College, uh, uh, Professor uh, uh, Lamzanski and uh, Ann Upton and, and many others. Uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, and especially uh, 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 Richard Dunn, and uh, most importantly, uh, 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 Michael uh, Zuckerman. You know, uh, and, and I say, when I left politics, uh, someone said to me, you know, Jack, uh, it must be awfully hard losing all your friends. I said, no, it'll be all right. I'll keep the good ones and then I'll make some better ones. <laughs> <laughs> and in Mike, I've, I've, I've just, uh, uh, my family and I have gotten a great friend with a penetrating analysis. Uh, whenever I write something, I shoot it by him knowing that I'm tough and I can take it. I used to work on ships, so I can take a lot. And uh, his penetrating analysis. But uh, I remember one thing I got back, and I don't know if he wrote it uh, with his Benazet book, and somebody wrote it, and it sounded just like something Mike would say. Uh, it's long, at least it seems long. <laughs> So then, <laughs> so then I went to the footnotes, and I learned how to use uh, 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 footnotes in that sense, and, and it was very helpful. And many others, uh, Mr. Mr. William Spahn and his wife, his lovely wife, I've just met her, uh, uh, Mr. Spahn, who's from McKinley Street in Washington, D.C., uh, some years uh, back. 
uh, and just uh, 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 many others. Uh, my friend George, who was at the Philadelphia Center uh, with me, and then I have uh, uh, some friends of my uh, 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 children. Jane, back there, was in law school. It's, it's wonderful to see young people grow up and pay attention to what uh, 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 we've done. I used to uh, play music all the time. I never thought my daughter was listening to it. Then one day she started going. She, she got ready to go to Argentina, and in the basement it was full of just junk. But she was taping Billy Holiday in my so it was all right. Something had had seeped through. Uh, 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 you see. Um, so thank you uh, all for being here. Um, I, I last week told the story. I was at Howard University, and uh, and I was introduced by a professor who had, who, who had uh, gone to school here. And I as I started. I said, you know, uh, 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 two black men I know have written books on uh, on uh, uh, whites. And I said, Du Bois had written a book on John Brown, which he spoke about. It wasn't his best book, he said, but it was. It was it was it was it was a wonderful book on, on John Brown and and I thought about it again last week at the inauguration and the song is played uh, 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 Battle of the Republic and of course we know the title of the original song was John Brown's Body and we think about that and we think about these uh, 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 these events today and of course uh, coming to Lincoln and I, I, I'll come back to that but uh, uh, Du Bois wrote the book on uh, on John Brown and then uh, uh, Lerone Bennett had written a book on uh, on uh, Lincoln which is not a particularly good book in my opinion, uh, uh, but a book. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> and, and so uh, th this uh, person at Harvard who introduced me, his name was Kerr Rich, he said, there's one more. And it says, Professor Ng uh, uh, from, uh, from Pennsylvania is here tonight who had written a book on Samuel Chapman Armstrong, uh, the great uh, found, uh, leader of, of Hampton Institute when, uh, when uh, Booty Washington was there. So I'll tell you a little bit about how I got to this project, and I'll try to be as informal as I can. Then you will ask uh, questions. Uh, it started uh, uh, when I wanted to explore what had gone wrong in America. Why hadn't we solved the race problem? Why should we have to wait so long and still wait? Uh, what would be wrong, as they say? And I kept looking and kept looking and kept looking, and I often got... Answers that didn't satisfy me. I'd read Morgan, American Slavery, American Freedom, and all those great uh, 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 books, but in some way they never caught the uh. And then as I read uh, uh, about these things, I, I, I figured that I had to look a little deeper. I had studied the 20th century, but I need to go back and study an early period. Uh, just excuse me one second. I have two of my son's uh, friends here, too. Uh, so I'm glad to have Mike, uh, 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 Mike and James. Excuse me, but I, I recognize my daughter's friend, so you'll uh, forgive me. <laughs> oh, he's not here. He's in Michigan. Uh, but uh, no, sir. At, at any rate, so, uh, so, uh, so as I kept looking, kept looking, I kept looking for voices. And somehow this little man, Benazay, kept creeping up uh, 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 in, a, in, a, in a little corner here or there. At first, I saw him uh, uh, through the writings of Olado Equiano. And Equiano says on page 25 or so, as he's writing about Africa, see Anthony Benizet throughout. Now, there's a debate about whether or not Equiano was born in, 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 in Africa or South Carolina. And I will leave it to you to figure, figure that out. But I will say this. If he was born in Africa, he could not have remembered all the details that he describes in Africa because he left at seven years old or eight years old. I remember two things when I was seven, eight years old. Uh, uh, well, I didn't have birthday parties. We were very poor. But I remember a spanking and, 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 and my, uh, my dear Hodges glove that I got when I was uh, a second-hand glove. I don't remember much more. 
So the idea that one will remember all the details of their, uh, of their childhood at seven is, is somewhat unlikely. So uh, Ekurano had read, uh, and so did Otaba Kukuwano, and so did Ignacio San uh, Sanchez and others, had read this to recreate uh, the African life. Three early uh, blacks, later on Lemuel Haynes and others. Then I looked at, at, at the great, uh, uh, one of the great historians of our time, W.B. Du Bois, who wrote his uh, suppression of the African slave trade for his doctoral dissertation at, Howard, at Harvard, and then uh, went off to, to Germany and came back. And then he wrote his, his, uh, his, his uh, urban history of the Philadelphia Negro. And in the Philadelphia Negro, he says something to, it was left to those like Benizet to educate the Negro youth. And then later on he said, on vote of one, and that vote being Benizet, they opened this school. And another point he said that the Quakers waited 100 years from the first action in 1688 till the 1776 meeting when they finally voted to absorb all those who, who, uh, who owned slaves. The Quakers, as you may or may not know, one, one could, uh, could own slaves, and then the Quaker meeting would say, uh, you must breed yourself with them slaves. And, and, and so you would say, if you're a Quaker, I would, say, I would do it. And I didn't give you a time limit. So I come back in a year, and you say, I would do it. In a year, and a year. Next thing you know, ten years are gone. And uh, you still have your slaves. But, but because of the notion of trying to win over everybody, try to, to get the best in, in goodness. So Du Bois wrote about that. And lastly, <coughs> Carter G. Woodson. Carter G. Woodson, uh, 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 the trained uh, uh, African-American uh, uh, who worked as a librarian at the Library of Congress. Uh, who founded uh, Negro uh, History Week, which is this week. Negro History Day, actually, first. Du Bois' is birthday, uh, February 23rd. My son is born on February 23rd. Uh, my wife is in labor February 22nd. I said, dear, hold on a little bit. You can imagine. <laughs> you can imagine what she told me or what she called me. But I got my Du Bois baby, so, you know. <laughs> He'll be 21 in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of days. And so, uh, uh, Carter G. Woodson, as he wrote, he said in the second edition of the Journal of Negro History uh, that Benazir collected facts about the Negro wherever he went on the docks in speaking to these uh, 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 Negro youth. And then in the second volume of the Journal of Negro History, uh, he published uh, large numbers of Quaker uh, anti-slavery documents, one of the first times this had been done in a non-Quaker uh, 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 magazine. So I kept seeing about this, uh, uh, this man, but nothing uh, in there. Always a page here, uh, uh, a page there. And I read some other uh, materials, but I was not satisfied. I looked at other uh, uh, historians and, and, and their treatment of him, and I still was not uh, satisfied because I thought he was a bit more. The great uh, historian David Brian Davis, who, who wrote just a wonderful uh, uh, cover blurb uh, uh, there for me, took uh, time out and we discussed this. And he had believed that Benazir was just a transmitter of ideas, and I believed it was more. But then there's a deeper question. It's how many of us have original ideas in the first place? You can count them on your hand. Well, maybe you can't count them on your hand. But, 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 but as one great man said, an idea is nothing until it hits the masses. So it doesn't mean much. You can think. But it has to reach people and move. And so I kept looking, and, and, and there I saw what Benazir's ideas were moving. So I wanted to explore uh, what they were. So to do so, I had to uh, study the man and his life and follow his trail, and read everything that he had read. Uh, uh, and I'll come to that uh, uh, in a moment. Uh, by the way, uh, most of the things he read, the earlier travel nurse and everything, were located here at the Library Company of, of Philadelphia. Uh, and that brought me, me here. <clears throat> so a little bit about <clears throat> Benazir. 
He's born in uh, uh, in uh, January 31, uh, uh, 1713, uh, in uh, in uh, Saint Quentin Picardy uh, in France. Um, uh, to family. Uh, his family uh, 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 lived there under Catholic uh, domination. The Edict of Nantes, which had allowed religious toleration, had been revoked, and and his family uh, fled uh, fled uh, uh, France. He. <coughs> His family had a unique uh, background. Uh, uh, we don't know it, it, it all, but they had been part of something called the Congenial Quakers. Uh, they had descended from the from the Camisars, but but did not have the the Camisars were like urban mountain guerrillas, but they were nonviolent. Uh, uh, his group and they formed something called the Inspirees de Benal, uh the Inspirees, and the family had a bit of that French prophets, uh, uh, so to uh, speak, uh, with their ideas. They fled uh, uh, France and. Uh, uh, on the way to uh, move, to, we're going to Holland. As they hit the border, a guard said, uh, "You can't pass." Uh, he held up his uh, uh, badge and said, "You can't pass." So one of Benazay's, one of the people traveling with him, says, "Here's a pouch of cash, and here's a saber. Take your pick." And the man took the cash, and uh, the Benazay's uh, moved on to uh, from Holland, and then got through to uh, England, and he ended up in England uh, uh, for some uh, years. In England, he uh, he. Uh, uh, Got his uh, first uh, education in the uh, English language, and he remarkably went to uh, uh, the same school that uh, Voltaire had, uh, had 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 uh, had went to gone to learn English. And if you, if you know Voltaire, you know he's as far from quick as you can get. He's uh, <laughs> you know he likes cash, he likes the good things in life, uh, but he had great admiration for the Quakers, and he wrote uh, 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 four uh, wonderful letters uh, uh, to the Quakers. Uh, they went there and stayed a while, and his father and they, they moved. Therefore, they moved to uh, uh, to, uh, to Philadelphia. His father wanted a better life uh, 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 for his family. He was seeking. As his father got there, uh, he dabbled in several different religions. He became friends with, with George Whitfield, and, and, and they uh, started a, a, a several thousand acre a farm at uh, uh, outside of the, uh, of the area. Uh, and his father dabbled with the Moravian faith. Uh, eventually, two of Benazay's uh, sisters did join the Moravians, and uh, and Benazay's father uh, 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 did also. But uh, by then, he had, had had come to 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 accept some of the ideas of Quakerism. In England, he had gone to some Quaker meetings and schools, and, and and at that time, the notion was if you'd gone to meetings, then you were accepted into the Society of Friends. We don't know when a formal uh, advent took place. And it really doesn't uh, uh, matter in that sense. But he came to Philadelphia, he became very active uh, 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 with the Quakers. And they accepted uh, some of their principles. And then he married a woman, Joyce Marriott, whose father had been uh, was a Quaker, and her grandfather uh, had been a physician uh, here. And she became uh, somewhat of a Quaker minister. And actually, she was more pronounced as a Quaker uh, than he. And he accepted some of the Quaker doctrines. Simply put, the notion of, uh, of there being no original sin. One does not inherit the sins of their fathers. Therefore, if I'm black and a slave, I do not inherit that burden. Neither do you inherit that wealth. Uh, the second, uh, the inner light, the notion of the inner light, uh, in every uh, uh, man, there's goodness in each and uh, every one of us. Uh, the notion of, uh, of, of nonviolence, uh, pacifism, as it were, uh, the the idea of service uh, to community and uh, and um, uh, a disdain for uh, for the accumulation the compound commu- uh, accumulation of uh, material goods 
And, and I could go on a bit more, but those were the basic uh, foundations uh, that he uh, accepted and joined the uh, Society of Friends and became very active. Now, over a period of time, he had tried other professions. He had, he had, he had uh, uh, a small frame and he knew that he was not uh, uh, suited for, the, as he said, the buying and, and trading of goods. Uh, his father had been a linen merchant, so he quickly disnamed that and moved to education. But then he spoke a couple of languages, of course, French. He learned uh, 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 Latin, uh, some German, uh, and, uh, and a bit more. And so he became active in the, uh, in the Quakers and, and first uh, taught at the uh, girls' school uh, in the late uh, 1740s. Uh, and then around 1750, started teaching blacks uh, uh, in his house at night, not the official school, but started teaching uh, blacks. Uh, during this time, he also became uh, uh, partners with uh, John Woolman. Uh, but a bit different uh, uh, than Woolman, I'll come to this. Now, we, of course, we know Woolman is a very saintly figure, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the face, so to speak, of, 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 of the Quakers. And while Woolman and Benazay worked together on the epistle of, of 1748 and, and others, Benazay had a, a slightly different idea about the Africans than, than did Woolman. I, I have searched, uh, uh, actually, uh, uh, through, throughout the records, and I found, and in the book I, I showed that Woolman, some of the negative ideas he said, they are vile stuff. Uh, at, at, at one place. I did not, uh, I saw them as uh, 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 but I did not see them as men. And, they were, and there's a big difference uh, 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 in that. But I never saw such uh, ideas in, uh, in Benazay. And I, I, I did search. Uh, but he became very active in Woolman. And Woolman went down south and, 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 and took his anti-slavery message uh, to Virginia and other places like that. Benazay uh, never left. Uh, and so they worked together on the epistles. Uh, but of course it took time. The epistle could make one statement, but the epistle would have to go back to London and come back and yet get the permission so they could go back and forth. And the first epistles in 1748, and they continued to make it each a bit stronger. But none of them absorbing the, the Quakers of, 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 of slavery uh, in full. Uh, so he became a very active uh, in that. Around 1762 he started uh, writing. Uh, first uh, a short account of uh, people called Quakers, then he wrote uh, a short account of Africa. Then uh, he wrote his longer piece, uh, uh, Some Historical Accounts of Guinea in 1771, uh, and it was reprinted sometimes, each time getting stronger and stronger. To write these things, uh, these books, he had to do a study of Africa, and a, a diligent and deliberate study of Africa. Now, what can you read on Africa in the 1760s? Not, not an awful lot. Uh, so you must read what was there. And what Benazay did, he started reading the writings of the narratives of people who had worked either as slave traders or those who had worked as adventurers and merchants. And mainly he started reading the beautiful works of, of travelers. Has anyone ever looked at the book of Sir Hans Sloan uh, in the pamphlet? Phil, Phil uh, Lambeski has seen it. George has seen it. It's the most beautiful book. Dewey Decimal. Uh, and, and the beautiful flowers and pictures. I mean, you can just get enchanted just looking at the, uh, the book. Benazay read. Now, this book is, I don't know, maybe a thousand pages, maybe more. And, and in this book, you have a discussion of the flora and fauna, and maybe one paragraph is about Africans. Uh, and the one paragraph he read was about the treatment that the Jamaican slave traders had, 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 had given to black slaves who had revolted. And he talked about them throwing salt in the uh, wounds. He read the uh, works of a man named Michel Addison, who had been a French explorer. And Addison says, uh, wherever I turned their bounded beauty, I thought I was in the world in its original space, so to speak. Now, doesn't that sound like more utopia? Just to me. It's, 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 it's. And so, as Benazay read that, he, he read these, the, the, the descriptions that, 
that, that took him to what he believed the Quakers should in fact be. So as he read all of these things, and my grandmother once had a saying, out of every lie there's a grain of truth. Now that may be, but she was a woman who wanted to see goodness in everybody. And it's probably, uh, the worst person you, you know may have one good quality. You know, maybe they'll die and leave you, you know, leave, leave. You know, John Kidd Cook, we all thought he was a bum. He owned the Redskins. He died, he gave all his money to, uh, to charity to educate uh, uh, young people. So, out of all of that, they were some good. <laughs> You know, in his days of wealth and, and, and others, as, as, as we look today. So he looked at, and he read many. He read the ideas of Bob Bowles, of, uh, of John Smith, and many others. And some of these had the most negative descriptions. But, uh, but some of those had, had slippages. For example, uh, in Atkins, Atkins wrote about the, uh, 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 the Africans who, who were of the Islamic faith. He called them the Mohadnan people. And he said, the Mohadnan people, did, and they prayed five times a day. He had studied it in, in a way. He may have gotten the number of times right or wrong, but uh, he, he looked at it. Uh, they, they treat their children with great respect. So I, he looked at it, all this, and, and, and from that he could piece together what he thought Africa looked like, as he said, before the coming of the Europeans. And he believed it was a beautiful life. And some have criticized him for being a bit idealistic. Well, if, if you err on the, on, on the side of justice or idealism, so what's wrong with that? Uh, 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 in that One writer criticized uh, uh, Benazay because he said he did not write about the sexual practice of the Africans. So as I said to him, he's a Quaker man. He's not going to write about the sexual practice of anybody. So I'm going to write about the, the Africans. So, you know, we get, you know. So, but, so he looked at, at many of these things to get a picture of Africa, and he wrote as he saw um, this. And Equiano and Cugiano, Cugiano and Ignacio Sancho and others Use this to put forth the description of Africa uh, uh, in this. And he ended with the most beautiful, uh, in, in one uh, pack. he says, when he put all of humankind together, the black against the white, the enlightened against the, the, the backwards, we will in the end ask one question, who are the greatest savages? And his answer, of course, was not the Africans, but the whites. And uh, uh, he ended that beautifully. He then uh, studied the works of the uh, uh, Philosophers as much as he could. His, his, his mother, when he was 16, sent him out to get a, 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 a stack of philosophy books, and he came back and read to, uh, to, to, to his mother. I can remember my grandmother. Uh, she'd make me go get books, and I'd come back and, and read. I was very young. This lady had a third-grade education, but she taught me to read before I was five or six because she taught me everything she knew. And, and that, that, that's all a man can ask uh, uh, in, in this world, anyone. And so, but he would go out, and then he would read these philosophy books to his mother, and then she would discuss them with him. Uh, and it, 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 it created his love of, of ideas and philosophy. So uh, he started looking for ideas uh, to combat what he believed was the negative uh, ideas, not just of blacks, but of people who had been so oppressed, as his Huguenots and, and others were. Understand, in the 18th century, uh, 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 pro-slavery ideas develop slowly. Pro-slavery ideas really develop when? They develop when there's something to combat. We make up stories when we have to answer something else. Otherwise, we can get by, you do it. Uh, uh, you know, you, you have children. Uh, you can let them get by with everything, but if you catch them, they'll tell you something, and then they get, they'll have to justify why they did it, uh, so to speak. But then as they uh, 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 started this idea, and then later people attacked them. He's looked at uh, several. First, of course, uh, the one uh, we all know uh, better is, uh, is, 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 is Montesquieu, uh, Montesquieu, Montesquieu, Charles, uh, 
who had written uh, about uh, uh, a slavery in all forms, it is a bowed uh, 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 situation that it puts people in. Then he started reading for his uh, position, more importantly, uh, the ideas of the Scottish philosophers, and there were three. Uh, uh, James Foster, uh, Francis Hutchinson, and George Wallace. And I'm always, always careful to say, not our George Wallace, but <laughs> <laughs> their George Wallace. <laughs> I, I lived in Alabama as a kid for some years, and, uh, and uh, George Wallace was, was, was governor. He never changed. Bear Bryant was there. And your own, uh, Pennsylvania's own Joe Namath was there. And that was literally, and, uh, and Bear Bryant was winning with Namath, then he stopped winning. And so he, he saw this black guy running a USC on TV. And so he said, he had to change. He said, get me one of them. And uh, he went on and won a national championship with these uh, black runners. So you see, uh, uh, Wallace, uh, George Wallace never quite learned. But uh, uh, Bear Bryant, you know, he's a football coach. If you follow uh, uh this is Philadelphia, so I, I know you follow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving there. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so at any rate, he started looking at these. Now they had distinct ideas. Uh, Wallace wrote a beautiful thing. He said humans cannot be held in commercial, and he had looked at at, at, at particular laws. Hutchinson wrote about the rights of resistance and the right for people to fight against oppression. Though Benazay disagreed with that because he did not believe that one should use uh, physical force to fight against said oppression. But he used what he wanted of those philosophers, and he studied very deeply uh, in, in those. And Foster uh, had written about that too. And whilst his father uh, had been a, uh, a, 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 a pioneer in the study of uh, what we call uh, the Scottish Enlightenment uh, philosophy, Scottish moral uh, philosophy, whose philosophy, whose enlightenment in that sense. So he put together all those the ideas as he wrote his uh, pamphlets. And he had studied, of course, many of the ideas of, of others. He had done a complete study of all the great uh, anti-slavery leaders in, in Philadelphia, from Lay to Sandiford uh, and, and many others. And he put those uh, uh, ideas together. And so putting together the Quake ideology, putting together his belief in the dignity of, of, of Africans and Africans' labor, he combated, combated the notions uh, 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 that had been written about uh, the blacks and their ability to work uh, uh, in, in hard labor more than others. He, he said, well, what proves this? The Africans in Africa did not work hard. Well, three, four hours a day they worked for what they needed. It was primitive accumulation, so to speak. The primitive, the Asiatic mode of production, uh, if you want to look at the political economy uh, 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 a bit more. So he put that together and these ideas and Quaker, and he came up with his own anti-slavery ideology. And at the heart of it was the simple fact that God had created, his God had created, men and women of one blood, so he wrote. Uh, no different than black or white. And he sought to prove that in his, uh, uh, in his work. He had many methods uh, in doing this. Uh, I once said, and, and, and uh, one must look deeply. And in this sense, we look at ourselves and look what we do each day to help our uh, uh, fellow humans. Uh, every day uh, after he taught, he went home and he, uh, he wrote and he took pamphlets that uh, people had written. He translated uh, Montesquieu and he translated others. He went to these African journals and he copied the passages out and went home after he taught all day and, and, and wrote those by uh, candlelight. And then he wrote the pamphlets, 50, 60 pages. Uh, it's very difficult sometimes to read these pamphlets because he would say, uh, Foster said this and something, but you don't know what page. He wasn't saying what page, he just was saying what Foster said. So I had to go back and follow everything that he read to get to those pages. But a beautiful uh, uh, process. I was at Howard the other day, and a student there says, uh, tell me a little bit about research. And they 
So I said, it's not difficult, but you must go into the archives and smell the books and feel them as I did at this wonderful library here. And then as they did that, he, he took those works, he, he, he studied them in depth and, and, and made copies. And copious copies, can you imagine going to something that's a thousand pages long and then, and then taking a passage that's maybe uh, 50 pages and, 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 then, and then copying it out, uh, those sections, and then using and putting it pamphlet after pamphlet and going over it. There are no copy machines and things like that. But, uh, but he uh, did that and started putting together uh, pamphlets. Then he started making allies. He knew that he could not do it alone. He knew that the Quakers could not do it alone. Uh, I just finished looking over something that Gary Nash, uh, 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 the great historian Gary Nash, said, and he's talking about uh, Benjamin Rush. And he said, as great as Benazir and those were, it would take a hundred of those to be one, one, uh, uh, one Benjamin Rush. It would take a hundred uh, Benazirs. And I had said that about Benazir and Roger Franklin. So I thought I had an original idea, but it wasn't mine. Gary Nassie said it somewhere. I just had read it after he had said it. But Benazir knew he had to get allies. And so that was his next step, to, to, to move people in the colonies. And he moved swiftly to do that. Uh, one of the uh, first and one of the most important was Benjamin Franklin. Who, uh, who had been a slave owner himself, had, been a, had, 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 uh, had uh, owned a uh, printing press. In fact, he owned the, uh, uh, the Philadelphia Gazette when there's an article in the, in the paper that says, Slave for sale on the docks across from Benazay's house. And this was in uh, Mr. Franklin's uh, paper because Mr. Franklin made a lot of money in advertising slave sales in his, uh, in his paper. But he brought Franklin along. And, of course, many other things brought uh, Franklin uh, along, too. Franklin was out of, out of the, uh, the country a lot. And they discussed uh, this. Franklin had been a part of efforts to, uh, to educate uh, uh, blacks at the Bray School and others. And uh, he became a big supporter of Benazay. And they worked together on several things uh, 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 to, to aid the Acadians who had been uh, uh, stranded and also the establishment of the first uh, Philadelphia uh, uh, Hospital at the University of Pennsylvania uh, now. And worked on those things. Uh, I'll just give you one little story about Franklin. Uh, uh, he wrote in 1750 or uh, something, uh, uh, Observation on Increasing in Mankind. And he wrote a statement, almost every slave is by nature a thief. Almost every slave is by nature a thief. And over a period of time, he changed that. And in my looking at it, he changed it really in, in 1760, over a period of time. And, and, and later he said, almost every slave is made by the nature of slavery a thief. Now those are big. Those are big philosophical uh, differences. Uh, may not mean much to us now, but then it meant uh, an awful lot. And I tracked it down, and it's obviously the influence of Benazir, the letters they are writing uh, about that. And Franklin goes back uh, uh, to London and writes about his anti-slavery, and they go back and forth. During the process, uh, he meets uh, 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 people in England, not uh, Granville Sharp and others. Uh, well, another example of a person that he, 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 he developed a repertoire with was a Patrick Henry. It's a wonderful uh, statement of, of Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry is, uh, 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 you know, the great, you know, this, give me liberty, give me, you know. Uh, you're in Philadelphia, so you know Patrick. You know, he, of course, he's Virginian, but, you know, he was, he was up here in the... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm from Virginia, so <laughs> I'll take liberty. At any rate, <laughs> you got to have fun, so... <laughs> so at, at any rate, Patrick Henry says this. He says, Dear friend Benazay, I've received your pamphlets. He got them by way of Robert Pleasance, who had been a Virginia Quaker. I, I, I agree with everything you said. It is wonderful that you have the courage to do this. But how can I do without my slaves? How would my children survive? And he kept on with the slaves for another 30 or 40 years. But he felt bad about it. So he <laughs> <laughs> but he kept the slave. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, he had a tremendous, a tremendous influence on John Jay. 
who became the head of uh, the New York Abolition Society, and of course, was uh, a court justice. Uh, Jay had, like uh, Henry Lawrence of South Carolina, had both been of Huguenot uh, backgrounds. Uh, wrote back and forth to, uh, to Lawrence, who had been the head of the Continental Congress. And Lawrence's son was deeply influenced by Benazir. Of course, Lawrence's son gives his life uh, uh, in, in, in the uh, uh, Revolutionary War. And wrote people uh, uh, throughout the uh, colonies. Had, and, 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 and eventually, many of those became in fact involved in, in his activities. Then he had his international movement. We wrote people like Granville Shaw. Uh, the best example of Benazir's work internationally is with John Wesley. John Wesley wrote something called, uh, 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 wrote his uh, a pamphlet on, 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 on slavery, against slavery. Uh, uh, and uh, he took the writings of Benazir's summer uh, historical accounts against slavery and put it in his pamphlet. And if you look at the pamphlets, word for word, they're word for word. If you put them together, it's the exact words. Now, of course, today we would criticize uh, uh, such things. But in the 18th century, uh, uh, I suppose some are criticized, but Benazir wrote him back and said, thank you. Uh, thanks for using these words. I appreciate it. I borrowed some of yours also. And they went back and forth uh, with Granville Sharp. Uh, Granville Sharp uh, had read Benazir's pamphlets the night before the Somerset decision, 1772. Took these pamphlets and took them to Judge Mansfield. And then sent them to all the barristers throughout the country. And, of course, Mansfield made his ruling. And it's still up for debate. I just was looking at a book uh, today by uh, uh, Douglas Egerton. He's uh, 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 talking about the Mansfield or uh, Somerset decision. Uh, in fact, it freed one slave. Uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin has, has a wonderful statement. Poor, uh, 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 the poor British, they make all this notion for one thing, for freeing one slave. And in fact, it did. But the blacks took it differently. But the blacks thought that the Somerset decision, which ruled that, that uh, the blacks thought that it ruled that any time a free person uh, came into a, a, a slave or a free person came into a place that was free, they would automatically be free. So when blacks heard about this, blacks and in, in, in all throughout the colonists started going to places where they were free, thinking that they would automatically be free. In fact, they weren't. They were sent back. But the Somerset decision, and, and people started what they called freedom suits. Uh, in 1963, uh, Sonny Rollins made a wonderful song, Freedom Suit. A freedom suite. So he took that from Sweden suit. They said, these jazz just know this? Of course they know it. Uh, in this sense. And blacks started filing freedom of suits throughout the, uh, 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 the, uh, the Western world. Uh, they didn't win these cases, but they took it from the summer, believing that it, it in fact freed all of them when it in fact it, it didn't. But tremendous influence. The best example uh, uh, comes uh, with, with William Wilberforce, who took John Wesley's pamphlets on slavery and quoted verbatim in the 1792 Parliament uh, 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 debates. Now, he took the part of, 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 of Wesley that Wesley had quoted from Benazir. And, of course, he didn't say Benazir. He didn't even say Wesley. He is Wilberforce. He didn't have to give credit to anybody. He's, you know, William Wilberforce. So he, he took it. But it didn't matter. And it was the first time in the Western world that an anti-slavery resolution had passed the, uh, uh, the House of uh, Congress. He, uh, uh, therefore, also had a participation with the French and a society formed called the Society de la Mide Noir. This is made up of people like uh, Condorcet and the Abbe Renal, who wrote, uh, I'm sure it's here, the uh, History of the Two in, uh, Indies, and great pamphlets. And Renal wrote him, uh, your pamphlets have miscarried. I thank you for them. I will use them in my writings. And it has so much influence on the society of the Media Noir that they uh, voted at, their, uh, at one of their meetings to uh, translate his pamphlets, some historical accounts of Guinea. They never did it. They translated some of his uh, other pamphlets. But they formed uh, their society the same year that the British had formed their overall abolition society. Then we come back to America where 
uh, the Revolutionary War takes place. The anti-slavery movement loses its uh, impetus. In 1775, uh, Benazay and some other Quakers at a, at a, at a rising uh, Sun Tavern, uh, a Quaker called the Tavern, but for anti-slavery, uh, I suppose uh, he, he did it that night, formed a committee, uh, uh, a society for the relief of the Negro, lasted for some years, and then revitalized under the uh, leadership of uh, Benjamin Franklin. Who's, uh, who's been suffering from gout and many uh, other problems and revitalizes that. And then this committee goes forward and st establishes the, uh, the first abolition laws uh, in, uh, in Philadelphia. And abolition laws follow throughout the, uh, throughout the colonies in, in Connecticut, New York, and other places. Uh, near, uh is getting near his life, and as he gets near the end of his life, uh, he goes back to teaching. He wants to... to, 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 to to feel that spirit uh, 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 at that point. And he's, he's, he's ill. Benjamin uh, Rush has, con has criticized him uh, for working so hard. Benazay is a vegetarian. And I won't go into too much. It's, it's sort of uh, humorous, but it's, it, it did not do so much to his health. And the reason he had become a vegetarian is because uh, uh, his, his wife has miscarried a couple of times. He believed that, that, that eating, uh, being a vegetarian, would, would help uh, her uh, carry uh, uh, kids to, uh, to turn. Uh, and he followed that. He followed the ideas of, uh, of, uh, of Benjamin Lay, who, was, as we know, uh, refused to eat any uh, products that had been produced by slave labor or, in fact, uh, wear any, uh, 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 any cloth, anything that had been produced. He went so far, as we know, to kidnap a, a young Quaker child and, and take in his house. Uh, in his 1750s, he had, uh, he had uh, gone to a, a meeting and, 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 and and attached a bladder of pokenberry juice uh, uh, to himself there, and stabbed it and said, you will suffer just like uh, uh, I have, just like the slaves have. And it created a, a great blur, and of course he was uh, expelled from the Quaker society. Benazay didn't go so far as that, but in 1772 there was a Quaker vote, and uh, near the end uh, uh, he was about to lose the vote, and he came to the front crying profusely, Ethiopia shall soon uh, 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 spread her hands unto thee. And with that vote... Uh, it uh, occurred uh, the day. I, I will end with just reading, uh, 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 if I can, just just one passage of of, of Ben. So he he seldom uh, he seldom talked about his uh, his uh, direct contacts uh, uh, with blacks, uh, and we suppose it's because or at least I suppose it's because he did not want to bring uh, harm to them. But in the one of the few times uh, uh, he did, uh, he said these words, and if they seldom complain of the unjust and cruel usages. They have received in being forced from the native country and sea. It is not to be wondered at, as it is a consider as it is a considerable time after their arrival amongst us before they can speak our language. And by the time they are able to express themselves, they cannot but observe from the behavior of the whites that little or no notice would be taken of their complaints. He entertains this situation. He told all who would listen. Uh, he asked them to seek judgment and relieve the oppressed. What can be expected? But that the groans and cries of these sufferers reach heaven. And what shall ye do when God rises up? And when he visits, what shall we answer to him? Because they spend his life trying to give the answer. Thank you.